We're joined for episode 10 by expert Dan Sands from Factor 7 Medical to hear about raising capital when you're an early stage company. Dan shares his insights with the med experts and answers their burning questions about how a new business gets off the ground and ensures capital raise timing makes sense in the competitive landscape, as well as how to avoid common pitfalls. Learn this and more on today's episode of the MedTech Business Academy. Okay, so um, this is Ted Newell, and I'll start things off. And we are really uh, honored today to have Dan Sands with us uh, to talk about early capital raises for companies. What is what's the formula for it, or at least how they look at the formula for it? Why is that so important? We're going to talk about what works, what doesn't work for early stage companies. And I think we're going to have a, um, a great uh, program. Dan is with a company that he founded. He's got several uh, members of a team. It's called Factor 7. So um, with that, we'll get going. And maybe, Dan, you could just give us a little introduction as to uh, Factor 7 Medical, oh, how long that you guys have been around, and what you spend most of your time doing. Yeah, great. Well, hey, thanks, and happy to be here. Uh, great to meet you guys. Uh, yeah, Factor 7, we, we formed about a year and a half ago, six other uh, gentlemen that, that we formed the company. They're all healthcare um, seasoned veterans, executives um, in, in various verticals in healthcare. Uh, we were all individually consulting on our own, um, and we figured, hey, let's, let's join forces and leverage our network. Um, and we're all focused on helping funded growth, uh, funded startups and growth stage companies. Uh, my background in particular has been you know, 30 years now in, in medical devices and technology. Uh, first 14 years in the orthopedic business, um, started a work at a startup. Then I started up divisions for the companies I worked for. Um, I then started my own company in 2006 and ran it for 10 years. Um, so the last six years or so, I've been helping uh, really translate lessons learned um, to help, you know, founders and ventures and help, you know, really innovative medical technology get to market. So, Dan, what's, uh, I mean, what's, your, what's your sweet spot in terms of range of funding? In, in terms of range of funding? Well, particularly, it depends on the stage of the company. Right, so you know we're we're particularly in that seed to Series A to Series B range is where we tend to focus, um, and that presents you know the when you, once you get into the C and and in those later rounds you know there, there's a different dynamic at play, um, so we tend to leverage our expertise in the seed A and, and B rounds. Yeah. And, and can you just explain what a seed round is and what an A round is and a B round? I think if we just start there, it might be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So typically, I mean, you have your friends and family, you know, those pre-seeds and, you know, to really get an idea off the ground and established. Um, and typically, you know, a seed stage is going to be categorized as a, you, you've done some basic work. You may have a proof of validated proof of concept. Um, you've done some market outreach, you have a good sense of what the trajectory might look like. Um, typically, you know, companies in a seed stage may, may raise anywhere from, you know, a million to two and a half to, to three, maybe in, in this uh, med tech space. Um, when you get into a series A, to it, well, there's a broader window, um, depends a lot on the technology. And, and I would say that 
the depending factor would be the risk profile of the technology, the competitive landscape, um, the rate at which you can get through regulatory clearance. Um, there's a ton of variables that are going to determine, um, you know, when you go for a Series A. Uh, typically, VCs are going to want to see revenue, uh, but more and more there are uh, more uh, early stage VCs and groups coming around uh, investing in Series A. Um, and then your angel networks and the angel groups are becoming more and more sophisticated and investing not only in seed stage, but also A rounds. Are you seeing, I guess, what are you seeing in terms of like first rounds? So we end up when we're talking to folks about whether or not they want to start doing some marketing, we inevitably have the question of, can you help me market to investors? And, um, right, that's not really something that we do a whole lot of, but maybe, you know, something that we should just start sending your way. But as you think about it, if I'm a, um, a guy, I'm a CTO of a, you know, widget in the med tech space, how do I need to think about raising that seed round where, you know, I've maybe had a little bit of friends and family, but, but I got to like take my first big chunk of cash. How do I even start that process? Yeah. So typically when, when I interact with founders, really, I, I look at several things and, you know, the, from a product standpoint, you know, the feasibility of the product, you know, what's the technical um, landscape look like? Is it, you know, low tech, high tech? Is it really, you know, is it IP issued or is it granted? You know, the timing of when somebody goes to raise capital in the amount really depends a lot on that IP profile in the competitive landscape. So really starting there, if they have, you know, if they've done a SWOT market analysis and somebody, you know, and it's robust enough that it's, depending on the background of the founder or venture, you know, how experienced are they in the space? I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I've run into a lot of inventors and it's the first time that they've really gotten into it. Um, and as you know, having the experience, investors want to know, do, does this person or group have the experience? Have they been there before? That certainly eases the pathway to raise money. So if the founder doesn't have that experience, it's, it's super important to align that team early. So you may have a really great technology, but if you don't have the wherewithal and knowledge how to get it to market, you know, that's a risk, right? So it's all a matter of identifying the risk profile for each company and then segmenting it down to which ones do we need to de-risk first? Is it, is, it, is it about the technology or is it about the market? Is it a really competitive landscape? Is it crowded? You know, everybody and their brother are putting, um, you know, wearables and, and remote monitoring and, you know, wow, what's unique about yours? I've seen 50 presentations this week and I can't decide which one is going to make it. And, and it's confusing to the market too, because they're flooded with all this technology and it's like, okay, why this one? Why is this better? So really understanding what that unique, your uniqueness is, is pretty, pretty substantial out of the gate. If we, if we can stay on seed money for just a minute, what milestones is somebody expected to be able to reach with their seed money? So when they're thinking about raising that money, uh, how far does that need to go in terms of milestones to, for the seed round? 
again, I'll go back to it depends on the class of the device. If it's a class one versus class two, I'm going to stay away from class three because that's a whole different ballgame. Um, so between class one and class two, just depending on that risk profile, um, getting regulatory clearance obviously is a major milestone. Now, can you get that done with seed stage money? Um, again, that comes down to if it's a really complex, it's going to take is going to take quite a bit. So your seed round may be on the higher end. Um, it could be you're going to knock down, um, hey, we want to get prototyping done. We want to get proof of concept, um, customer validation, get get some limited uh, testing, bench testing. I mean, it it really depends again on the on on the nature of the technology. So if it's an implant versus a non-implant, or if it's software. Um, if it's a combination technology, um, it, again, it really comes back to what, what does the technology look like in that risk profile? And what do you think the typical company, you know, understanding there's some differences in the risk profile, but in that seed stage, what do you think the typical raise and ask is at that level? Yeah, it, I would say anywhere up to 5 million is is pretty common um, from what what I've seen in my experience now I, a small fraction I I do um, have involvement with a pre-seed fund and, and that's they're raising a much smaller amount um, I would give you two examples and in a, in a, they're both ends of the spectrum I have one um, project coming out of that pre-seed fund that you know technically, likely they're going to raise two and a half million um, to get through the regulatory, get it tested and get some, some early adoption because it's a relatively simple device comparatively. Um, there's another product that I'm working on that it's going to take 15 million over the course of, of a couple of years to get it through the, the tranches and development and regulatory pathway. Now, those are, those are hard. You say, okay, is that still a seed or is that series A? So it kind of blurs the line um, really on, again, again, it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse here, but the uh, complexity of the device and that risk of getting through regulatory are, are some major concerns, plus the IP portfolio that the company has will, will really, position how much money to go out and raise because you got to consider how much you know what the cap table is going to look like um, when you go out and raise that first round and conversely you don't necessarily want to be raising money all the time either because <laughs> invariably if you raise too little then you're you're going to be right back at it and dealing with a runway issue that you're going to run out of money then you could face potential down round it's um yeah it, it's um to navigate the the milestones is pretty important, and to mitigate that whole process, it's really laying out a solid plan. What do people do wrong in this process? I, and I'm I'm really thinking about sorry, just the context. I mm -hmm. think the seed round is really where a lot of people kind of scratch their heads because this is the first time that they're going past, you know, asking their college roommate for for money, and they're going to professionals or angels. And I feel like there's a lot of mystery around that so maybe we can like we can focus in on that like what are the things that people do wrong when they're going into that first round underestimate 
all the steps, the duration, and therefore that ultimately extends how much money you need. So typically everybody says, well, you're going to take that number and take it times two. Well, the, the underlying root causes, they haven't really fully baked out the plan and understand the steps that they mm -hmm. have to go through well enough. And, it, and, and sometimes the founders and inventors, they fall so much in love with their technology that they don't do a lot of good market outreach and research and can't be um, really sensitive to the fact that not everybody is gonna love this product or device as much as they do. So mm -hmm. really having the ability to take outside um, constructive criticism and feedback and guidance um, is, is really the, in my view, a recipe to help uh, avoid those mistakes mm -hmm. in time and money and encourage, you know, encourages investors too to have confidence if they see a well laid out, thought out plan yeah. with a baked out team. So, so what's, what's then the time that if I'm raising my first seed round, like, is that three weeks, four weeks, day and a half? Like, how long does it take me? How long does it take for me to get that? Yeah, on, on average, I mean, I've seen some stats. Um, I've done it too, but it, it's typically, you got to plan at least six to nine months. Okay. Um, that's typically, if you can pull it off faster than that, then hallelujah, you must have really something good. Or mm -hmm. you were lucky and found some good good angels or a whale that's going to lead it. The, yeah. the key is finding that lead and, mm -hmm. and negotiating the right terms for your stage and getting to the right valuation. And once you get a lead, then things seem to, to come around pretty quickly after that. So Dan, I, I'm sorry. I've got a two-part question on that seed round. Sorry, Mike. Um, that is, we're seeing um, less and less money becoming available for pre-A, meaning pre-C rounds and seed rounds, that a lot of the money right now is coming into series A and above. So I'm wondering if, if you validate that. And then what are the best practices that a CEO could do to be competitive if indeed the, the pot is shrinking and you know the economy right now as we record is a little bit unstable. So I think it might even get more competitive. So what are the best practices that uh, a CEO could employ to make themselves more competitive in that type of environment? Yeah, yeah, great questions. Um, I, I tend to lean towards, you're true, your statement is true. And, and a lot of, depending geographically where you are, um, I tend to lead on you know, the incubators and accelerators um, in each communities and spe specifically those that are geared towards um, medical technology and making investments there. So, you know, there's a lot of non-dilutive funding. However, that, that takes time and that takes a special skill set as well um, to do that in parallel with raising, uh, you know, capital through uh, traditional sources. I would leverage those incubators and networks. Get involved in them. Network. They're gonna, they're they're gonna tie you into the investor groups to become um, aware of them. Network and and get to know you know the the folks that have um, the capital because that it's a relationship. You're selling, you know yourself. You're selling your idea to investors, and it's like any other sales process. It's based on trust. So CEOs that I, I think can really put a solid plan together, have thought through all the risk 
um, and present themselves professionally and can take feedback um, and adapt um, as they need to, um, to meet the expectations of what the investors might have and what they have available to, to parse out. It may not be all that you need, uh, but you know that's a risk in itself. Don't get me wrong. I, I see companies go, they get underfunded. And in my view, that's as much of a risk as you know, whether it's technology, you don't have the right people or a competitive landscape or whatever. Um, so I think having a comprehensive plan, um, you know, on multiple fronts of chasing after money is what helps separate companies. And, and those CEOs or founders that are articulate, um, not over boastful in terms of expectations and the results that they plan to achieve um, in terms of revenue forecast, um, that's, or, or saying, hey, you know, we don't have com competitors. That, that's like a really bad statement always. Um, and, you know, and then overshooting a forecast that is so really overly optimistic and, and not a bottom-up built sales model um, really demonstrates that CEO doesn't know, you know, the standard of care and how they fit in that competitive landscape. Yeah, I was just going to ask when you when you're looking at seed money, um, what are the ownership expectations as you go through these different rounds? Like, do, does somebody still have over fifty percent at the seed in, in, in the seed stage? Does the the owner or founder or founders, and then how does that get diluted over time? Yeah, so what great question. Uh, you don't want to get in a situation I wouldn't recommend where you're giving up more than 50% at the seed stage. I mean, it, you you might as well sell the idea. If you're not going to be, now you can bring in multiple shareholders and investors that spread that out. You may drop below 50%, but you don't have a single uh, investor having more than uh, 50% of the company. You, again, you're at that point, you're working for that person. So th that's my litmus test to kind of say what, what's fair and reasonable. Um, again, it depends how much, um, you know, if you have comps or can get comps in the market, um, comparable to other technologies or other companies that had an exit and what their journey in that capital raise continuum looks like. Because these investors aren't looking at just today. Obviously, they're looking five, 10 years down the road at a seed stage, and they're going, hmm, am I going to get to that 10x with this company? You know, that that's a big unknown, and you get out the crystal ball and, and make your prediction. So it really go back to Tom, your question about what, what makes CEOs stand apart in a competitive landscape. The the better you can articulate and forecast out the a cap table or an illustration pro forma of a cap table that shows here's what we look like through the different raises to get through cash flow positive. That is going to help help investors have some comfort around um, and for the founder too what what that capital formation looks like because you know just doing it step by step really isn't looking at the end in mind. You got to begin with the end in mind. What does an exit look like? How much capital is it going to take to get to cash flow positive and sustainability on a, more than one year at a time? You know, what, what does it look like? Do I get to cash flow positive for a, for a couple of years? And that's when you really become attractive in terms of an exit 
um, lining up potential you know exit opportunities. So seed stage guys are looking at that exit. Where where am I going to get my money back within five years? I know it's a different I know it's a different industry, uh, but how does a guy like Mark Zuckerberg right go with Facebook and keep control of that company with voting shares versus non-voting shares and how does that work during this process? Yeah, so I'm not an expert by any stretch in that particular category. Um, I do know in a current deal that we're that we're orchestrating for a company, um, you know, there's foundational units, you know, the founder, then you, you know, you keep having preferred investors come in on top. Um, but, but there's a level of equity that is reserved for key employees. Um, so we want to maintain that same percentage, usually it's somewhere around 15 to 20%. Um, that level of equity is maintained through the course of multiple rounds. That way you've got, you can top off key people, you add more people, you've got incentive units that, that are available. From my perspective and in the types of companies that I'm working in, that's pretty standard. Once you go public and all that, that that's in a different category than I'm, I'm used to playing in. Gotcha. How, how much reporting should I expect that? Like when I, when I sell part of my company off at a seed round, what kind of reporting, how frequent, and, you know, am I going to have to be talking to these people every day, every month, every quarter? What's that like? Yeah, predominantly that's outlined in the operating agreement when you're negotiating for a close, right? So you're going to establish your board structure, formalize that, typically a five-person uh, board. Uh, you're going to have a one or two seats, depending on the size of the raise that goes to your lead investors. Um, you may provide observation rights um, to those. So th that's the structure within an operating agreement that is going to define responsibilities of the board, responsibilities um, to report and deliver back um, updates. So at least annually is pretty typical. You may have semi-annual, but you know, quarterly board you know, meetings, but member communications out to the entire members usually is, is once a year. Um, but in terms of, you know, I, I like to go with quarterly and the board at a seed stage because you, you want a board and investors that are going to contribute. Um, you know, to get money is one thing. To get money that is going to help you grow is more important in my mind than taking the check. Um, and those key people that can help you network to more money, uh, can help you on the commercial front, can help. Um, I, I want an active board um, that aren't afraid to take away tasks and assignments from a quarterly board meeting and say, okay, next quarter, I, you know, it's got to be a participative level at that point. Um, because if they're all passive investors, it gets pretty lonely when you're the CEO and, you know, you've got all this stuff coming at you. Um, to hit expectations and, you know, especially if you run into delays and, and your runway starting to shrink, um, you know, you're constantly, how am I going to take care of my employees and, and feed the machine plus look, you know, six to 10 months down the road and make sure I've got at least some runway. Um, so that's where having a really active, good board is really important at the seed stage. Hey, Dan, you invest in a lot of different platforms, just like your investors across all of MedTech, and it's a pretty big industry overall. I guess the question that I have is, 
how do you, what are some of the characteristics that you look for? Because you can't know every modality. You can't know every specialty. You can't know when somebody comes to you and tells you I have the next greatest thing in this little space. How are you able to look at that and, and make a determination? You know, my, when you, it, it comes down, I think, to one, getting to know the founder or CEO, whoever is presenting. And, and I can pick up things quickly just based on the presentation and information that they share, how it's organized, um, what information they are sharing and the information that they're not sharing is probably most important to me. Um, because that tells me a lot that either one, they don't know the competitive, like if I see a, a deck and, and there's little mention about the competitive landscape means it's probably a really competitive landscape. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because there, you know, you have to be proactive and, and put the objections out there. And those that identify, you know, and, and can be proactive and, and lead the investors through why we have a handle on the risk, the better. And when I see, uh, you know, presentations or introductions on technologies, if you know enough, about this space, um, you can tell pretty quick that, okay, th there's probably a low probability that's gonna get funded. And then there's others you see, you know, I, I'm working on a project now. It took me six months to wrap my head around, you know, it was a syringe-based technology. I'm like, okay, sh it, it's a syringe. I mean, just by default, you're like, okay, I, I'm really not excited <laughs> about putting money into something that's maybe gonna make pennies. Um, mm -hmm. And as I looked into it, um, this company uh, is has 30 patents granted and pending. And they- On syringes. On syringes, on two different designs covered in 10 countries. And it is really unique. Both solve really compelling problems and uh, that address high morbidity and mortality. Uh, two unique processes embedded by an RN and when you look at it the surface, it's like, mm, I don't know. When you dig into it a little bit, the numbers and the volume are outstanding, but the, it, it's um, one in particular um, is targeted on an emerging new standard of care that's been proven out by another company. So they've done the heavy listing on proving out the clinical effectiveness and they've got early traction, they got FDA cleared. And so on this one, I'm like, okay, maybe, not being the first to market is a good thing. We have a competitor that, you know, we, we applaud their efforts. They've done a great job. We feel we're going to have a better mousetrap. Uh, and this, this product could easily become a fast follower in the space. Um, so you just never know um, until you, you know, you got to scratch below the surface a little bit. But, you know, most of these investor presentations, it, it's a blink moment. You've got one or two minutes to make that impression. And once people form it, they're thinking all the other deals that went bad that they put money in that you don't even know about that you're selling against to try to, okay, are they gonna love my idea? They probably, you know, that, that's where it's, that becomes really tricky in dissecting, is this gonna be good or not? Um, that first impression, you can form it, but it's not always right. And I, I've had the experience myself of yeah, making maybe the wrong assumption. 
out of the gate. And, it, and some deals require a little bit more digging to see, okay, there, there might be some gold under this one. How do you find investors? Like if I'm, if I'm, I have my greatest widget, right. And, uh, but I don't know anybody who's independently wealthy. Where do I go? Like, how do I start even getting in the process? Right. I, I would, at seed stage, I would, I would get involved in those incubators and accelerators. They're, they're going to point you. It's a good networking source outside of that. Um, there's a lot of angel networks now. Um, so Google search and, and find those angel networks. Um, I just participated in the Resi conference, RESI. Uh, great platform. It's speed dating for investors. Uh, you get, and they have a, uh, I'll do a, a outreach for them. They have a, another event coming up in September. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in person this time. And it literally is, you got 10 minutes to sit down, tell your story, see if it's a fit, but you have a chance ahead of time to vet. Oh, there, there's thousands of investors in that platform that you can search and, and qualify. You really want to do your research on investors because their investment thesis is different, right? Each, each investor group has their own idea of where they want to put their money. So it's the onus upon uh, the entrepreneur to do the homework, to make sure they're not wasting people's time in terms of sending them decks and because it, it, it can be a real timeline. That makes a lot of sense. And, and so like, I know here in St. Louis, there's BioSTL. I think there's probably some stuff in Indy, yeah. uh, certainly some stuff up in like Boston, Minneapolis, that sort of thing. W yeah. Would you recommend hitting, like hitting a circuit? Do you, do you ever recommend going after individual angels or what does that, what does that look like from your perspective? It, yeah, you, you certainly can. And, and family offices are, are certainly uh, available at this stage. So having personal relationships or having the ability to, if you know somebody that knows somebody is the best way to get that introduction in, into, into those networks um, because they, they see a lot of deal flow. So you really is like, how am I going to stand apart? How am I going to get introduced and develop that relationship? Um, it's really network intensive to find the right investors. And there, there's lists available. Uh, mm -hmm. DCs, angel groups, uh, family office lists, it, and it's a matter of just researching them, targeting like you would any other. You're going out to sell. You, you need to understand who you're selling to and if it's a good fit for them. And what are we... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say on, on the other extreme of investing, and I don't know if, if people want to spend time on A's and B's, but how do you uh, warn somebody that they're on their way to being overcapitalized. And um, like I know of a company right now that has been commercial for seven years in the um, uh, optometry space and they're shutting down, but they really raised way too much capital. There's no way that uh, if you do have um, the math on the EBITDA and their growth rate and so on, that they'd ever get to a point where they'd have the value to return to the investors the amount that they raised. I mean, it seems like the investors weren't really very smart if they allowed it to get overcapitalized, but how do you see that coming and, and work with people on that? For me, I don't know how that happens, to be yeah. frank. It's like, I want to be a part of one of those maybe. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's a danger in that, right? Um, so you don't want, you know, the 
you want to take as much as you need when you need it. You want some runway uh, to be overcapitalized and not be efficient there. Um, it, you know, it is as bad as being undercapitalized in my view. So it just depends on what your plan is and the rate of which you need to go to capture uh, market traction and growth. And, you know, the key here is how fast can I get to revenue? How fast am I going to be able to ramp up and get to that sustainability threshold? Some sales cycles take longer than others. So to me, that, that's a variable on how much runway and capital that you need to get out of that continually raising capital mode. But man, the risk is back on the founders if they don't hit milestones. That, that may be a hard landing uh, for a lot of folks. Yeah. And how often do you have to tell somebody that their baby is ugly? <laughs> how many times a day? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's not easy. I, I really try to point out you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, try to, but man, there, there's, there's been a couple projects where we, we did some initial work and it was a surgeon, um, inventor, founder, he wanted to bring his family into the play. And it's like, it, you know, the competitive landscape and where they wanted, they wanted to go a commercial model. And it, it just had so many, I don't know that we could have coached out the, the inventor founder that he would have taken some of that feedback constructively and acted upon it. So you just, you know, you do your best you can and say, hey, you know, here are the things you need to, to really address. And those founders that, you know, take it to heart and really start to work on it, then it's like, yeah, it's easier, easy. Um, but man, you, you just kind of be truthful and, and be honest because a lot of times, you don't get that feedback when you're out pitching, you know, you get the, Oh, that was great. Thank you for pitching. And you're out the door and you're like, okay. Well, and you don't hear from somebody for two weeks. You're like, okay. Um, I guess they didn't like it. I, I don't know. So I'd rather be told, you know, Hey, you've got, you've got some problems with this high chance. You're going to have big headwinds and, and let them know up front. Total aside, I did that to somebody in, in an interview the other day. Um, it was like clearly not a fit. And I was like, hey, let me tell you why this isn't a fit. It was not, it did not go over well. I would not recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was being nice and they did not think so. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's, you know, I always um, use a friend analogy. I mean, it, a good friend is going to be brutally honest with you. Right. And at the right time. So it's it's kind of like kind of like that with some of these companies. You want to hear and understand their passion and why they're doing it. But at the same time, you know, I think it's fair to give a, a candid response to. And, you know, they'll take it as they're going to take it. But, you know, it's one person's view. There's there's a big world. They're going to go keep hunting, scratching, clawing to find a way if they're really passionate. And you have to be have a level of perseverance in this space. Um, to keep after it because it's it's a tranche. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Have you ever been able to work with a company that once they, uh, with their seed money, that was all they needed? They were able to organically grow from that point forward, you know, through commercialization and so on? There's been a few, but I, I don't know them that well. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to get involved in one of those. Yeah, I know. I know one that has done that. It seems like they're being successful, but 
the the key was that the CEO is not taking any salary. You know, it's just you know, and so that's a huge part of it right there. Several of the employees are taking very little salary. It's all in in equity, and um, but they have a great product, great idea, and the early commercialization has been successful so far. And it's also not real expensive. You know, it's not very difficult to make. There's a lot of other issues. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. And they'll probably exit for, right? Yeah, they'll exit for a smaller amount and still um, probably do very well personally and help the world. So hopefully, yeah. Well, I know that we're uh, right at time. Um, do we want to go around the horn and kind of see what uh, any parting thoughts? Mike, you want to kick us off? I just want to thank Dan. I thought this was a, an absolute fascinating topic and discussion. Thank you, Dan. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I'd like to thank Dan as well and just, uh, you know, underscore, you know, the things that somebody, a CEO doesn't talk about on his deck are kind of the really what uh, echoes out there. One of the things that we do at TTI is help with the investor ease, help to bring that data into speaking about percentages and dollars, which is really important because that's, you know, you can fall in love with your technology and start rambling all about it and to people's, you know, eyes glaze over, but you got to speak the investor's language. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, standard. I, I, I think it's about making sure that you're you you're you have an open mind and understand that not all criticism is criticism. Most of it is very constructive, and you just have to be able to willing be willing to accept that. So, thanks, Dan. Thanks yeah. for the time. Yeah, I I just thought you know one of the one of the big things um, that we talk we talk to small companies and they don't know how to handle this. So I feel like um, if you're looking to raise around, listen to the listen to this again because there's a lot of gold in here. And then when you get done and you're still kind of scratching your head, give Dan a call um, or, or talk to somebody who can, who can guide you a little bit. Cause this is getting this right is as important, if not more important than the actual technology or the actual team or things like that. If you run out of money, the greatest idea in the world doesn't, doesn't get going. So um, don't under club the effort in on, on this side of the business. Yeah, I agree with you, Scott. It's like there's somebody out there with a cure for the common cold, and uh, uh, they just don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and so we all <laughs> suffer for that. But I, I would like to thank Dan as well, and um, and everybody for great questions. So and um, wish everybody the the best of a weekend. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Seed funding, Series A, Angel Networks. We heard about it all and how to properly market your product to investors. Not only starting the process, but achieving the milestones needed to fully bring your products to market. Thank you, Dan, for sharing your insights with the team today. You can reach Dan and his organization at factor7medical.com. Next episode, we'll be continuing to earn our MBA with the MedTech Business Academy with our discussion on what is currently on the mind of hospital execs. We look forward to having you there and thank you for tuning in today.